Mini episode 1282 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1282. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris. And we have with us here today good friend, fellow FDH Lounge dignitary slash FDH NBA analyst Ben Chu to break down the 2020 NBA Finals. We have been going through this whole basketball in a bubble thing. And actually, if you go back further, uh, breaking down basketball throughout the 2019-2020 season, can we still call it the 2019-2020 season? Because it doesn't really feel like anything that happened before the bubble is super relevant at this point. But be that as it may... We have gone through, the last time we talked about any of this was before the games got underway, and uh, we made some initial predictions there, and on some things we were more right uh, than on other things. There's been an awful lot that has happened. This will always be regarded as a unique time in NBA history, Ben Chu. Uh, let's, let's hope that it stays unique. Let's hope there's never a need for anything like this again, like there's been with COVID, but uh, appreciate you coming back on to uh, break down the finals today. That's right. That's right. And uh, for it to be Heat versus Lakers, uh, so many things that we thought we'd never see again uh, as far as uh, potentially between these teams, not least of which, when you look at it, the Miami Heat, if you go back into history and you look at it, with all due respect to Dwayne Wade, the, the fact that they would be coming, and Shaquille O'Neal, for them to be coming up against the greatest player in their history in the NBA Finals, also, I would say, Let's not just talk about Deion Waiters. LeBron James is going to be playing against the Heat also, Ben. Apparently, I mean, it's been, it's been a really great season, Rick, but the Heat have definitely proven that over this entire bubble time that they've played exceptionally well. It's weird to see that uh, uh, head coach Eric Spolster going against LeBron the second time around. It's going to be interesting to see what some of the defensive matchups are going to look like. Absolutely, and let us not forget that uh, we would have thought maybe 2011, that was that turns out to be the window for it, right? When it could have been Heat-Lakers in the finals where it would have been LeBron v. Kobe. And uh, instead, it takes nine years later, LeBron is in a Lakers jersey this time around. It's not Kobe rooting him on from the sidelines, but unfortunately having passed away tragically earlier this year, along with his daughter and uh, some of her teammates and friends, so uh, it's been a long, winding road to get to this point. Another thing here, and this is less remarked upon because uh, his role is not necessarily the same with the Heat as it was with uh, the team that he is best known for playing for, but we also get potentially, as far as a head-up matchup, but at the very least their teams matching up again, LeBron v. Andre Iguodala in the finals again. Did we ever think that would happen after 2018? Of the player movement that we've seen over the last couple of years, 
it doesn't, it's not super shocking, but just in the totality of how Miami's going to have to play defense against this high-powered Lakers team, it's going to be interesting. And just the flashback to a timeline that was much different than the Bumble timeline. It's been a long time since these two teams played each other. They last been and again I'm going to give you credit you were the one guy that I heard saying this coming in while you and I weren't uh, picking the upset there you were the one saying it was possible Miami over Milwaukee in the second round of the playoffs here and there was just something about Milwaukee for a team that again had the uh, the best offense and the best defense in the league statistically by wide margins coming into the bubble what ended up happening here that first loss that they had in the first round against Orlando. I remember looking at that going, you know, teams that are big favorites, I don't remember them ever racking up a game one loss like this. And then Milwaukee made it through the series, uh, just kind of maybe filed that one away. But it really did end up meaning something because they were more vulnerable than anybody thought. Miami ended up slicing through them, and it was a thing where they were able to keep it going against Boston. And like you said, part of this, I think, is due to the evolving nature of the Heat team. And you and I talked about, before the bubble even started, we used Michael Porter Jr. as an example with Denver, and we were prophetic on that of weaponizing the lack of scouting, the lack of familiarity, the emergence of Tyler Hero, uh, that at least has something to do with that as far as this incarnation of the Heat being different than what the Lakers have seen before and some of the teams that they played through the playoffs different than what they saw pre-bubble. And uh, I thought it would be the Clippers. And the Clippers, uh, again, I think the best team on paper. But we saw the difference between on paper and in reality with how all of this ended up playing out. And, uh, again, just a very, very interesting playoff run. So the Lakers running a little bit more true to form in terms of what we expected than you could say was the case with uh, Miami because uh, Miami was uh, picked by very, very few to make it this far. And, again, we have to take a minute here uh, with, with Miami being in the finals. You look at the final four, Miami and Denver. You and I have talked about this a good amount off-air recently here, this notion uh, that we both see this, and we I don't see a lot of other people talking about it. This is a golden age of player development in the NBA. I mean, we look at Denver. People are used to looking at Denver through that prism, and Miami, again, it's been much more sudden as far as flipping the switch this year to becoming the kind of team that they've become. Bringing in Jimmy Butler, uh, they've gotten the best version of Jimmy Butler than anybody's ever gotten out of him, and that's saying something. Uh, the development of Bam Adebayo, uh, Tyler uh, Hero in the role that he's in here, and the notion 
that you could have basically a homegrown big three, if you will, uh, where again, these guys were not, you know, regarded as potentially being on that level prior to getting to Miami and fitting into this. And even Jimmy Butler, you know, if you go back, he, he seems to be almost to me one of the pioneers of this era of player development. The 2011 draft, we hear so much about it, about what a legendary draft it was with the talent that it yielded. I remember at the time it looked like garbage. As a Cavs fan, I was so happy to have the number one pick. I'm like, okay, Kyrie Irving, that's the one guy in this draft you can bet on. And you go on down the line with the players in that draft that developed, Jimmy Butler, Isaiah Thomas, even Clay Thompson at 10. Nobody saw him becoming the kind of player he would become. A lot of people thought he could become a fringe all-star maybe with his shooting ability. But you look at the 2011 draft, 2014, with the Greek freak, on and on. But the last couple of years... This has really become predominant, and I think the bubble has really shined a spotlight on this again here. Player development in the league, and teams like Denver and Miami becoming big-time powers with guys that other teams just overlooked. Yeah, I think that's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out because, again, Miami has used the zone so much, and uh, that's been kind of up and down. They used it to stymie Boston a good amount, and then there were times when Boston came back and was able to uh, exploit the holes in it. So you've got that, and then as far as it goes for Miami also, uh, when you look at them offensively, the three-point shooting, it's been kind of on and off. And again, it's a, kind of a cliche to say that about the league right now, that 
And, you know, you, you are basically what your three-point shooting is, but it really has seemed to be the case for Miami. When their three-point shooting is cold, uh, they don't really have much of a chance, and you got to think against the juggernaut like the Lakers, that's especially going to hold true. Right, and the one thing that I feel is underrated about the Lakers is their team defense. They were top ten in the league in terms of defense grading for the entire season, and one of the things that I think is going to be problematic for the Heat is, is that the Lakers, from top to bottom, I don't are more talented, but they have more consistent scoring across the board than Miami does at this current time. And let's say, because we, if you look at the hierarchy, you know LeBron and AD are going to have their game. But the question ultimately going to be is for, for Miami, is Jimmy Butler the one who's going to be stepping up? Are you going to see more Dragic, more Tyler Hero? It's going to be interesting because the one sort of weakness that I would argue that the Lakers currently have is sort of quick twitch guards, guys like Jamal Murray, guys like, uh, I'm, I'm just trying to think of their names off the top of my head in terms of guys, you know, guys like uh, Landry Shannon, sort of these guys who can sort of get in the space and make shots. And the problem, I think, for Miami is that outside of Kendrick Nunn, they don't really have a lot of those guys on their roster. Right. So they're going to be playing a lot of straight-up basketball, and I think that's where it favors the Lakers. I think it probably does as well in that regard. You look at it also, too, with the Lakers. You talked about playoff Rondo before and what he's able to give you. Uh, there's another guy that uh, nobody's talking much about at this point, uh, deservedly so, but when it gets to the finals in recent years, again, it's very, very interesting, all the echoes of the last decade that we're getting out of this, because you have some new big stars on this stage, the biggest being Anthony Davis, but then also Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo. Uh, it, I think it's premature to put Tyler Hero in that conversation, even if he seems to be trending there, even if he's almost looking a little bit. I'm not saying he's going to become this level of player, but he's maybe sort of like Kawhi 2014 as far as being a guy that we don't look at as being on that level yet, but you could kind of squint and picture it at some point. But again, the big stars here uh, that, have, that have not been here before, but in terms of uh, not necessarily stars, but very good role players that have been here before, as I said, some of the echoes of the past decade, one of the big echoes would be Danny Green. And they brought him to L.A. to try to make the big shots on this stage in the finals. It'll be interesting to see if he can assert himself here. If you go back 11 years uh, in the uh, NBA to the 2009 season, and of course the Eastern Conference Finals, they are very painful for me as a Cavs fan. But that was the last time that the Eastern Conference, or that the NBA Finals, I should say, took place in Orlando. That was with the Magic as a home team and Dwight Howard anchoring them against the Lakers. Oh, how things have changed! Now Dwight Howard is a role player on the Lakers. 
a guy that when you were running down all the names there of potential third scorers, a name you didn't mention that I think most people would have expected coming into the season would be Kyle Kuzma. I think they're going to need him to show up big time in these finals here in order to be able to handle Miami. Right, and I think that's a very good point, Rich. He, I, if we're being honest, I believe he's probably going to be the X factor in the series for the mm-hmm. Lakers because if he's doing well in terms of moving the ball and getting open opportunities, he's a, he's a big weapon that they have because if you look at up and down the roster, they have a lot of shot creators in terms of guys like Anthony Davis, Danny Green, and LeBron. But the issue that they're going to struggle with is they don't have a lot of perimeter scoring. And if you get into a shootout with Miami, they're going to have to focus more on making three-pointers. And that, that's where I feel like this series is going to be very close. It's going to be back and forth because both teams are not mirror images of each other, but they both match up very well with each other. And I think the one concern I would have about the Lakers is, is that is that they've gone through a lot this season. And I, I do tend to worry if Miami takes an upper hand in the series and wins like won the first two games if they're if the Lakers are gonna have enough to bounce back. Well, I mean that's what happened in the Eastern Conference semifinals. Miami came out and punched Milwaukee right in the mouth and the Bucks never recovered. So uh, there's a precedent for that even <laughs> very recently if you're looking at the teams that were regarded uh, as being the big favorites here. It was the Bucks, the Lakers, and the Clippers in whatever order, but they were the consensus top tier. Uh, Miami is the only team that has taken out uh, a team from that top tier that is in the finals. And when you talk about that with the Lakers and with the perimeter shooting, that, of course, is what they famously lacked a year ago. Uh, the thing that I think a lot of us have thought was very uh, boneheaded on the part of Magic Johnson, uh, the whole playmakers over perimeter shooting type thing that led to a lot of clogged lanes and things not working well for uh, ultimately uh, LeBron and the Lakers as the season went along. But I will say this, though. I wonder, if you look at the success of Denver, the success of Miami, the whole thing of having secondary playmakers in both cases in the pivot there, if that didn't show a little bit of wisdom, Magic picked the wrong guys. But the whole notion of having multiple playmakers on the floor, I think we've seen from Denver and now from Miami, is not a bad one. You just got to also make sure that you don't have zero uh, shooting to go along with that. Right. And at that point, that's an important thing to consider because if you do not consider that, it's been proven in the NBA. If you're not a good shooting team, you're not going to win. And the one improvement that we have started to see with the Lakers that they forward in these playoffs is that they know how to close games when they really need to close games. And I think that's one of the calling cards of a LeBron-led team is that when he knows that he needs to close a game and win a series, he can go out and do that. He has enough versatility and ability just to do what he needs to do in those timelines. And I think the one concern that if I'm Miami is, is how much LeBron has left in the tank. Because if he is still running on full, that's a very scary Laker team, especially if Anthony Davis is fully healthy and can make big plays. Yeah, and you got to think LeBron smells blood right now because, again, not that LeBron necessarily gives a crap about the FDH top 30 list that we do every year, but I will say, again, last summer I put Kawhi Leonard number one on the list. And the, the criteria, of course, on our annual list is if you're starting a team for the next year, season starts today or tomorrow, who are the guys you would go with? 
And LeBron, I think it is safe to say, has taken back that number one spot based on what happened with the Clippers. And now there's a lot of hot takes uh, happening about Kawhi Leonard as though he hadn't done all the things he'd done in recent years to prove that he belongs at the level that he's been at. Uh, but uh, Le- LeBron, he's this close, right? He can taste it. The Clippers are not an obstacle. The team that is an obstacle at this point is the team that was the number five seed in the East, and that is not to say that they should be taken lightly. Go ask the Bucks about that. But LeBron is this close. I just, it, to me, it's hard to imagine that he doesn't find a way to slam the door at this point. He's overcome bigger right. obstacles in his career than that. Suffice it to say. It, 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 said that, uh, as much as, and again, and this is a huge uh, moment, we, we, it's, hard to, it's hard to imagine anything could possibly add to the legacy of Pat Riley, but as far as as a team builder, uh, if there's anything left, uh, and if we're going to be getting fueled even further into a Pat Riley versus Red Auerbach type discussion uh, historically here, Riles certainly gains on them a little bit if, if they can win this, but when you look at it, the, the first Heat teams that he brought to prominence when he was a coach in the late 90s, uh, the, the kind of grind-you-up, beat-you-up kind of teams, I wonder from what you're saying as far as putting Butler on LeBron, putting Bam out of Bayou, 
on AD, if that's not going to be a thing where it's hard to see either of them going off offensively and also stifling those guys. So I wonder if we're not looking at more of like the 94-89 type brawls like we got in the 90s from the Heat if they're, if they're going to be successful. Right. And again, for Miami's sake, they still be there shooting. And they're shooting well. They have a just as good a chance of any team to beat the Los Angeles Lakers. But my brawl, again, concerned with Miami at times is when they're cold. They're really cold, right? Yes. And I would think they would need some consistency to beat this Lakers team, especially with just how everything has gone for them this season and just how so far they've performed in the bubble. Both of these teams have had fantastic playoff records in the bubble. And I would have to say, though, is that if the one thing that we've sort of seen in my game, especially I'll bring up game five again, Boston, what we saw in Miami is that if their guys aren't aren't playing well, they aren't a team that can just turn it on. Right. And that's not just Miami, that they aren't shooting at their utmost levels. I don't get them for a chance against the Lakers team. And that's the thing, too. The Lakers have been just so dominant throughout the playoffs. Uh, a team that looked as infallible as Denver coming in, you see what they did to them. So it's hard to see Miami being able to take enough in a best of seven, I would say. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too. I'm going to say, and I'm almost tempted to say Lakers in five. I don't often pick teams in the finals in five. I didn't do it in the Stanley Cup, even when I thought that uh, Tampa Bay was pretty well favored, and rightly so, over Dallas. I still said Tampa Bay in six. So my pick here is going to be Lakers in six. I, I, I can see Miami getting two games, and I will say, too, for them to even get that, this is a thing where Eric Spolstra, for a guy who I'm still not sure... How much credit he got in coaching circles, even after he got the two titles and four finals appearances with LeBron previously, as far as you know, be, being thought that he was just executing Riley's blueprints and everything like that, and oh, anybody can win with that level of talent, which has been proven repeatedly, by the way, not to be the case. Just look at all of LeBron's previous coaches in Cleveland. So for Spolstra, I think, even to lose this in six, uh, this is a big legacy moment for him as well, to be able to take a team that few, if any, thought would make it this far and get to the finals and uh, put, make LeBron sweat for it at the very least. Right, and on the flip side of this, if Miami is able to win the series, how Eric Spolster's coaching career will be looked at because unless I'm mistaken, only five other head coaches have won three rings in their timeline in the league, and it would make his coaching career. And again, if you want to use the flip side of the Lakers, Frank, perceptionally what I sort of see as like a renowned type very good coach, can get a team to a conference finals, but can't get them over the hump. If he gets this ring at this point, that changes his trajectory of being more of a coach. I was ragging on you a little bit off air on this because you and I uh, have sort of disagreed on Frank Vogel before. I was somebody that was kind of drinking the Kool-Aid on him a little bit. 
as far as uh, the way that he got the most out of guys in Indiana. Not necessarily as much in Orlando, okay? I'll give you that. The, the Orlando stint, although he had markedly less to work with, I would say. But nevertheless, this is a thing where it's a big legacy moment, I think, for him as well here. And uh, ultimately, to have it come down uh, to this uh, this finals here, uh, again, it really is kind of fitting in a way. A finals combo that we couldn't have seen coming in a year that we never would have seen coming. And uh, again, the Lakers part of it, yeah. I mean, I think we were all thinking Lakers or Clippers. But uh, for Miami to kind of come out of nowhere and all the storylines that come along with that uh, is very 2020 as far as the curveballs go. Right, and I think we'll, we'll see what ends up happening, even though I think we're both picking Lakers I was going to be entirely shocked if Miami won the victory. And even possibly even dominated, I would not be shocked by that at all. Well, I will say this as long as I'm going in the uh, Wayback Machine and talking about things said previously on the show, you're the guy that made the pick a year ago. Seems like more than a year ago, because I guess it was. It was like 15 months ago uh, for Toronto to win the NBA Finals when I didn't see it and a lot of people did. It's interesting that 538 did. You were looking at a lot of the same computer model type stuff, I think, that they were, because you, you go pretty deep into the analytics, among other things, as you're doing your studying of basketball. So uh, if you're saying that Miami has a chance in this series, that is something that people should take seriously. Right, and, and, and anyone who would say otherwise either is not paying attention or they are clearly a big Lakers fan. Yeah. Well, it's going to be fascinating, and again, and this is a finals that would benefit uh, I think from, again, if we were able to play it at the two arenas, uh, to have it go that way, to, to play it in Miami, how uh, uh, how interesting it would be to see my uh, LeBron have to go back there for that. Uh, the emotion of playing it uh, at Staples, especially in the year of Kobe passing away. But uh, again, there, there's still going to be a lot of that emotion that will be present for both of these teams here and their fan bases. Lakers Heat. It's going to be uh, entertaining as all get out. We'll be watching it, enjoying it. And again, uh, I enjoy the conversation as always, my man. Thank you so much, Ben Chu, for being a part of this today. Well, I appreciate it, Rick. One final fact will be the first time an NBA champion will be crowned in the ball for one. This will shatter the record held by the San Antonio Spurs from the 99 NBA Finals when they were awarded a strike short. They won their yeah, this uh, there there are so many different things about this. Uh, the fact that it's at a neutral court, uh, and and again, and as we've talked about before, the networks have done their best to kind of gussy it all up and make it look presentable. It'd be boring if it just looked like it was being played in the empty gym that it essentially is. But uh, a lot of the uh, special features that they have added to it has made it even better. And uh, again, it'll be great to be able to watch. Thank you, Ben. And thank you, everybody, for checking out FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1282.